Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together tonight and to look into your word. Pray that uh, each one of us would have an open mind and an open heart, and that your message would be conveyed through Rabbi Chaim. Through our discussion tonight, Lord, pray for those who may still be on their way here tonight. They would get here safely. And we just uh, commit this time to you in Yeshua's name. Amen. And everyone has notes? Have you got a copy of that, everyone? Okay, I have a question for you to kind of lead us into the discussion. Um, why do we want to read and study uh, what Scripture has to say about the great intercessory prayers? strength through prayer. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Why study those particular prayers? I mean, there, there's, there aren't that many of these long, uh, what I would call intercessory prayers in scriptures. There, there's some. Uh, why, why do we want to study them? Well, Perhaps one of the reasons is that so that we can learn to pray like they did. There's a pattern. Hmm? There's a pattern. There's a pattern. Uh, there's a template for us to follow. Um, and also not to make us depressed because we realize how incredibly uh, powerful these people were in their relationship with God. But but to challenge us, to provoke us, uh, to be jealous in a good sense of the word. By the way, remember that the word jealous uh, or, or zealous is the same word in Hebrew, kana. Uh, hmm? uh, that can either, you can either be zealous or jealous for good things, or you can be jealous or have zeal for things that don't belong to you. So, um, much of what we see in Scripture about the person's relationship to God, obviously, first of all, comes from who God is and what God wants, what God is doing. However, and that's the mystery of it, somehow a big chunk of our spiritual life involves our willingness, in fact, our passion uh, to want to be more like God and pressing, pushing uh, forward to, uh, as Paul uh, puts it, and, and having been a, uh, an athlete a couple of centuries ago, uh, I was a runner, I remember that um, as you approach the finish line, you didn't look what you didn't look behind you, but you strained towards the finish line, and that is what the Word of God calls on us to do: is to press, press forward. So, we want to study. We've been looking at at Moses. We've been looking at Ezra. We've been looking at uh, Nehemiah, and tonight we're looking at Daniel, and and uh, the, the final study will be in a couple of weeks, and we'll be looking at. Yeshua's prayer, and by the way, the Lord's prayer is not what we usually recite, you know, when we sit there and go, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, the Lord's prayer is what we find in John 17, where Yeshua had this amazing conversation with, with the Father. Welcome, ladies. Um, so, again, there are patterns, um, and, and what we find... Several several themes that run throughout these uh, these prayers. First of all, is a sense of desperation. Uh, rem 
remember that uh, one of the parables that Yeshua gave about how we're supposed to pray is the example of a guy who who has someone coming to visit him and he doesn't have food and he goes to next door neighbor and pounds, pounds, pounds on the door uh, at midnight until the neighbor gets up and says, you know, I like you, but I'm getting up not because I like you as a friend, but because you're being a nudnik, you're being a pest. Uh, and, and Yeshua says that that's how we're supposed to pray, which is kind of unusual for us because we, uh, we don't have the chutzpah, the, 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 the nerve to come to God with persistence and do one of these things. And so uh, as, we, as we've been seeing these prayers, it is amazing what degree of force we have uh, in these prayers. And so uh, you have the reason for the prayers, desperation, some kind of situation taking place, uh, either a crisis, an emergency, or some kind of feeling inside that I really need to pray, and then seeking God, um, and then having answers in each of these prayers. So, let's read um, Daniel chapter 9, and, and I have to tell you, we're not going to dive into Daniel's 70 weeks, and if you came here for the uh, absolute answer to Daniel's 70 weeks, you'll be disappointed. All right, uh, Daniel chapter 9 and verses 1 to 23. And let's see. Uh, you are one of our favorite readers, but why don't I pick somebody else? Uh, Deborah, would you read for us? Hmm? I'm sorry? Yes, ma'am.
sins of the whole world, our sins and iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and his people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on our desolate place where we have Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes to see the desolation of the city and the Persian home. You do not make the best of me because you are righteous, but because of our because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, our God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. When I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, making my request, the Lord my God goes to the hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Thank you. Okay, now several things about the background of this prayer. First of all, um, what was the reason why Daniel started to pray. Was he having a crisis, a nervous breakdown? Was he upset? Um, was he sick? Um, what was the cause of it? Forty years? Seventy years. Seventy years. Okay. Uh, where did he get that prophecy? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. There are a couple of places in Jeremiah that speak about um, Israel being um, in exile for seventy years. Um, one, the early, in twenty-five, it speaks about uh, the the judgment that God is going to meet to pour out in Babylon, and then in, in 29, it speaks about the restoration. Um, what's interesting is that uh, the prophecy is, uh, uh, is written in the books, Sfarim, uh, uh, the word scribe is so fair. I know you desperately needed to know that. Um, Jeremiah had access to a bunch of the scrolls that were written down. Excuse me, not Jeremiah. Daniel had access to a number of the scrolls that were written down. Uh, scripture wasn't completely uh, written down as it is today, but there were there was the Torah and and some of the other books, and Daniel studied those. So we know that Daniel was an amazing man of prayer. This tells us also that, that he was a very diligent student of the Word of God uh, because he studied the books. And so let's, let's look at Jeremiah 29, verse 10. And we'll go to a couple of other places. Uh, Genesis 17 and also Leviticus 23 but we'll start with Jeremiah 29. It's a very famous passage that people uh, often put in the Bible promise book, kind of yank it a little bit out of context, which we like to do from time to time. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Thank you. So first of all, in verse 10 of, of uh, chapter 29, uh, the, the Lord is saying that he will do what? 
Visit, okay. And what else is, is he saying? He will visit and bring him a box of chocolates. Brings him back to his place. Okay, but before that, there's one phrase. He will visit them. Visit. Perform my good word. Huh? Perform my good word. Perform, okay. So you have three verbs here. Perform and establish is the Hebrew word there. Uh, the excuse me, establish. The Hebrew word there is kum. Why am I making a big deal out of it? Simply because this is a uh, a word that you see associated with the covenants. So whenever God speaks about the covenants, uh, you see this word establish or kum. So um, this, the point there is that what Scripture does is you have later parts of Scripture quoting and referring to earlier parts. So there's unity in the Word of God. Okay. So uh, Daniel quotes Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is thinking about Genesis. Because in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, we're told, what are we told? I know, we need to be uh, fleet-fingered. Glee. No, no, you're, you're in the hot seat, dear. I'm the, I'm, I'm the chosen. You're in the chosen, yes. Verse 7, correct. Yes, I will establish my covenant between me and you and you and your seed after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant in order to be your God and your seed's God after you. So when you see this word established in Hebrew, kum, uh, you know that it's related to covenants going all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant where the Lord is saying uh, I will establish the covenant remember that covenants are um, a way of expanding their relationship okay so God begins the relationship with the nation of Israel and it's based on covenants first of all with Abrahamic covenant in in Genesis 17, uh, and then and then with the covenant with Moses. So uh, then turn to Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40 to 45. O come, all ye faithful. these threads will begin to come together. Shall give up 
26 is one of these amazing passages where the Lord says if you love me, if you obey me I will bless you, all these good things which of course people like to take and put in the Bible promise book, right? And then the Lord says if on the other hand you decide that you're stupid enough to cheat on me, then here are all the things I promise I will do to you not because I'm mean and sadistic but because I want to get your attention and encourage you to come back and what I will do I, I will use whatever stick size I need to do in order to get your attention and it, it's pretty awful stuff where God is saying um, I'll punish you in the land and then if you're stupid enough in the land the land is going to throw you out, vomit you out and you're going to be scattered all across uh, different parts of the globe and people are going to chase you and yet where you are in the land of your enemies if you pray and you seek me I will restore you I'll restore you back to the land so all that folks begins way up here in Genesis chapter 17 with the word establish my covenant Ever remember that in Genesis 17 it's God's everlasting unconditional covenant with the nation of Israel in other words you can be as stupid as retarded as you, you think you need to be I'm in a kind of relationship with you I'm not going to let you go and I don't know about you folks this really helps me <laughs> okay because I, I know my own story and I know that if <coughs> If, if the Lord was kind of uh, uh, flaky, thank you, he would have booted me out along with a bunch of other folks. Um, a long time. So, you know, people say that the law of Moses has no grace, that only you have grace in the New Testament and the Old Testament, you only have law. Well, here in Leviticus 26, God is saying, after all the stuff that you have done to me and I have to punish you, even after all that, uh, you turn to me, I will, I will take you, I will restore you. And that's what we find in Jeremiah 29. Uh, and by the way, reading Jeremiah, if you are in a good mood, Read Jeremiah, it will guarantee put you in, in the depression. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, you know, he has these conversations with God that, that really curl the, the remaining hair in the back of my neck. Uh, but Jeremiah 29 is, is, is a passage we like to quote. Uh, you know, people often like to refer to it because it says, I have plans for good and not for evil. Ah, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, the rest of it, rest of it is, is pretty intense. God is saying, uh, yes, I have plans for good and not for evil for you because of the covenant. Uh, but part of the picture is you need to come back and repent. You need to seek me. When you seek me, I will be found by you. Um, and that's what Jeremiah is predicting that God will God will use a limited stick in dealing with the nation of, it, of Israel other nations who existed during the same time uh, were pagan and were destroyed totally 
with the nation of Israel, God has a different standard. Why? Because of the covenant relationship. Um, he's their dad, like he is our dad. So Daniel, being a student of the Bible, of the books, then uh, is reading, 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 and he sees the fact that the exile in Babylon will only last for 70, 70 years. Now, again, recognize the fact that sometimes in Scripture, numbers are kind of rounded off. So if you, if you do the math, you'll find that it wasn't quite 70 years, but the point is, the period of time that Israel was supposed to be in exile was limited, and at some point God is saying, enough. And somehow Daniel gets it, and he's all worked up. Now, I don't know about you, if I was in uh, the United States of Babylon, <laughs> and, and if I was uh, top dog, actually at this point it's Persia, if I was top dog, uh, do you think I would be worked up about the fact that the rest of the people are still in exile? Uh, Daniel does. And, and look at the language. It's, it's intense. It's extremely intense. Look, look at what his prayer, the tone of his prayer looks like. Back to Daniel chapter 9. Verse 3 and verse 4. Bacon. So I set my face to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to Adonai my God and confessed, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy with those who love him and keep his mitzvah. Okay, question for you. Why doesn't it just say, I was worked up and I prayed? God were to respond, but, but look, he says, I turn my face to, to seek God in prayer and supplication with uh, fasting, fasting sackcloth, and ashes. Ashes? And I prayed to my God and I made confession. So, what does that suggest? It, whenever you have scripture piling on the language, it is for the purpose of repentance. Well, preparation. yeah, but huh? Preparation to a prayer for the adoration of God, sincerity, honoring of God. And he's also reminding God that for those who love Him, you know, I mean, I think he's reminding. You're jumping uh, a step ahead here. It's very intense. It's very intense. It's very emphatic. In other words, it's designed to grab your attention. He doesn't just say, I prayed and I was worked up, but I prayed and I turned my face towards God. That's, that's focus. It's, in other words, I'm not sitting and, and looking at the stars or looking at something else. Yes, ma'am? Is a fasting and a sackcloth too what you do when you're, like, it's repentance, right? The fasting and sackcloth? It's either repentance or else it's mourning. Yeah. Somebody just died. Now, Daniel is, is pretty old at this point. He's lived a long life. He's been very productive. Um, Maybe he's humbling himself. Well, of course he's humbling himself. But, but, but all, all this, the sitting, setting his face towards God and praying and, and mourning and confessing, all that is based on, on a couple of verses that he read in the scroll of 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 Jeremiah. Why is is Daniel so worked up? He's interceding for Israel. He's interceding for Israel. Now, I don't know about you, it's been a long time since I've done that kind of praying. Like, would you believe never? Um, when a person intercedes with such great intensity, what does that tell you about their relationship with God? 
He's righteous. Okay, how close? He trusts the Lord to take care of. That, but if if he knows that God is committed to the nation of Israel, that God has a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, that God isn't happy to see his people in exile, and, and, and we will see from his prayer why he knows that God isn't happy. God isn't happy, then Daniel says, I'm not happy either. If, if God is upset about the state of affairs of the nation of Israel, so am I. In other words, you have this identification between God's business and Daniel's business. Which is pretty amazing because normally we're, we're for pretty self-centered individuals, right? I'm not talking about you, Freddie. <laughs> um, we're pretty self-centered. You know, I, I gotta take care of business, maybe one or two people, but um, if if Israel is is struggling, am I going to go into this big, long, mega prayer and fasting? And the truth is, we don't know how long Daniel was praying. It wasn't one of these, uh, Lord, bless me and, and bless the, everybody around the world. Uh, we know, for example, from chapter 10, that Daniel knew how to pray and prayed and fasted in chapter 10 for three weeks. Three solid weeks. So we know that this prayer, whatever is looking like here, is is going to be a day or two or three or four, who knows how long. A very, very intensive kind of prayer because Daniel sees what's going on and he's very upset because God is upset and he shares the heart of God. See, that's the thing. For us to grow into the kind of relationship with God to where what God is concerned about, we're concerned about. Not the other way around. Not, not where we come and say, God, I'm having a hard time here, here, here. Therefore, you should make it your business to take care of me and fix things for me. It's exactly the opposite. You know, We have a kind of relationship with God where we see what God sees and where we want to point in that same direction. That, folks, is what I would call spiritual maturity because it means that we put God first and us second. So Daniel begins the prayer um, and, and what is the first thing that Daniel does in this prayer? Yeah. <clears throat> Several different ways. But, but his focus is not God, my people are in a mess, therefore fix it. What does he begin with? Confession. Confession, but specifically, what does he say? Because we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we before, have wickedly. Uh, Dan, before we get to the, we have been bad, he, ta he talks about how great God is. Ah, there you go. And that is something that you find throughout the great intercessory prayer. The Lord's Prayer. The, Lord, the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, be exalted. In other words, first order of business, God, is for you to have the, the, uh, the, prime, uh, the prime space, the, the, the floodlight on, on you. And uh, you are, he first of all tells God who he is. You are the great an awesome God. Um, he keeps covenant and is merciful. He keeps covenant. He's merciful. Which tells he loves him. Yeah. Anything else in this prayer that emphasizes what Daniel thinks of God? So he is great. Awesome. By the way, this is not awesome. Like this is an awesome hamburger. He's reliable and he keeps his covenant. He keeps covenant. He keeps covenant. Keeps covenant. So that's faithfulness. Merciful. Scripture 
and especially how God deals with Israel, that he's merciful, period. So he always gives a choice. He always gives a choice, and if God gave us what we deserve, where, where, where would we be? Yeah. Especially during those times when our love for the Lord isn't in great shape, and our keeping his commandments is not really too great. If the Lord wasn't merciful, we would be in bad shape. So he's, yes, he is especially merciful towards those who keep his commandments, but he's merciful, period. We're missing something here. What else does Daniel say about who God is? Hmm? Well, it's merciful. But he loves his, his uh, city, his Jerusalem. Uh, oh. He says, even if we, we, when we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by, he's forgiving. I mean, it says, we have sinned, those of you, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. I mean, Anybody see an R word in right. there? Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's more than just in seven. Righteous is repeated several times here. Um, and righteous in this context means that God judges fairly. In other words, he, he looks at a person and he evaluates them based on who they are and Part of their righteousness is the fact that he judges righteously. Now, now, remember that this is all going back to the covenants. And what did God say in Leviticus chapter 26? If you're stupid and if you chase after all these other gods, what, what will happen? I will have to punish you. I'll have no choice but to punish you. And so Daniel's point is, in this prayer, uh, God, you had no choice. You were obligated to punish us because otherwise your word, in general, would be worth would be worth spit. So you say here that you will bless us when we're obedient. You say here that you will punish us and discipline us when we're disobedient. So yes, we expect that you will bless us but also we expect that you'll punish us when we're being disobedient. Now, I haven't heard very many believers saying, Lord, you have the right and obligation to punish me because I've been an idiot. When was the last time you heard someone say that? Right. Uh, Daniel's saying, God, if you are who you are and your word is worth something, and if you say you're going to punish me when I'm being dis disobedient, you have to do that. So uh, Daniel, again, this is how you know when a person is in, in close relationship with God. He sees God, he sees things from God's perspective, not just human perspective. God, you had no choice but to punish us. Um, but this is who you are. He first of all begins with this. First of all, God. And if you look at, at the prayer in Matthew 6 that we call uh, the Lord's Prayer, again, begins with, first of all, who God is. Same thing with the other great intercessory, intercessory prayer. And part of reality is if you know who God is, you know who you are. And you recognize the fact that God is so holy, you recognize your stuff. And that's where confession comes in. And Daniel spends a lot of time talking about confession. Now, does Daniel say, Lord, um, my forefathers have been absolute idiots. And you have you had every right to kick them out of the land. What does Daniel say? Why? Why does he do that? Was he there when the people were booted out of exile? Because they're still doing 
Well, is that the sin is still going on? Hmm? He identifies with those sins. He identifies, and folks, if you pray for somebody, you cannot do the uh, Satan's kind of prayer. God, look at this person. He's such a mess. You really should straighten him out. That's the accuser of the, of the brothers kind of an approach, uh, which we do from time to time. Like, Lord, uh, please uh, help them out. They're a mess. Uh, would you please fix them and make sure they repent? Ever so pray that confession way? confession and repentance the same meaning? Uh, yes and no. Confession can refer to confessing who God is, Confession also, uh, the Hebrew word vada, vidui, um, refers to who we are. So um, you can confess who God is, but you confess who you are and, and your sin. And the truth is, folks, if, if you know who God is, would you have a handle, some kind of an idea of the fact that you are a sinner? The people who have no clue about their sin also don't have a clue about who God is. So Daniel talks about we have sinned. We have sinned. And he uses a bunch. Again, same kind of thing. He wants to get there. Uh, he wants to um, mention to whoever is going to be reading this, I think. But one of the words, he uses a bunch of words for sin. Uh, one of those, of course, is chet, which means uh, missing the mark. Chet, or K-H. In other words, that God's standards are over here and you shoot and uh, your arrow falls over there somewhere. Um, then uh, you have another word, mered, which means rebellion. And then, uh, finally, ma'al. And I want to park in this one here. Uh, it's translated as unfaithfulness. Um, what does it mean to be unfaithful to God? Hmm? Have another God before him, including ourselves. Okay. This adultery. Commit adultery. And this, this word, by the way, is very strong. Ma'al means treachery. Sort of like Benedict Arnold. Um, you have a covenant relationship with God and you do something to uh, break God's trust. So it's stronger than just be distracted with everyday stuff. Correct. Yeah. What Daniel is saying, our people sin, we, our people sin, not just by missing the mark and being stupid or being weak or not knowing. Our people miss the mark by rebelling, consciously, deliberately saying, I will not follow God. Yeah, worshiping other gods. If he's talking about his fathers, I mean, he's going way back there. He is, but again, he identifies. He identifies, not, not that, that he rebels against God himself, obviously. And this word ma'al means uh, treachery. In other words, uh, cheating on God, uh, breaking, breaking his trust. Uh, and, and this word, by the way, comes from, remember, Achan, Achan in Joshua chapter seven. Uh, chapter 7, right? He took yeah. up the holy Michael? He took up the things that were supposed to be set apart. Yeah. Uh, so Daniel... Daniel understands the fact that the people are in exile because of the sin, repeated sin, rebellious sin, deliberate sin. And and he's he is acknowledging all that. He's not trying to snow God. Yeah. So is that a, a root for the other mod that the Latino word the something mod malevo as malo? Is it a root for uh, you're talking about apples and giraffes. Oh, okay. Oh. It, it sounds like mal. Oh, it, 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 yeah, well, uh, it's mal 
mal is also uh, Latin and French, meaning bad. No, this is mal. This is treachery. So, um, but Daniel doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, "Lord, um, we we have screwed up. You you have been fully justified to take us and throw us out of the country." Let's let's continue. Um, and uh, let's see verses. Uh, Let's pick up verse 15. Michael, would you read that for us, please? Yes. Just verse 15? Um, 15 and 16. <clears throat> and now, O Adonai, our God, that, <clears throat> that has brought your people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten then gotten you has gotten the um renown oh as as at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly oh Adonai according to all your righteousness I beg you let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sin and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are are become a reproach to all that are about us. Okay, let's pause there. Thank you. Why do you think Daniel reminds God about Egypt? What does that have to do with anything? Well, it's it's God's in a sense. It's when God did one of his greatest things by redeeming his people. And if he redeemed them at that point in time, he still has that same character of being the redeemer to redeem them again. Yeah. And Well, we'll get to the reputation in a minute, and that's a good point. Um, but, but part of what Daniel is saying, God... I have no doubt that you have just as much power now as you as you did back here in Egypt when you brought us out of out of Egypt uh, with a strong hand. And remember that in Scripture, when it speaks about the hand of God, it means two basic things. One is the power of God. Two, it's the fact that God is engaged on behalf of people because He could speak a word or He can send an angel, but when His hand is is engaged, that means that I am... It's personal. It's very personal. Thank you. Um, so so Daniel is reminding God, and this is the, the odd thing, which may not make any sense to us, he's reminding God. You find the same thing with Moses, uh, reminding God, and you say, okay, does God need to be reminded? Yes and no. He knows everything, so in a sense, he, he doesn't need to be reminded. But, but part of the uh, dialogue with God is you say, God, uh, this is who you are. This is what you've done, and, and I'm asking you to be the same God you've always been. Um, and then talk, talk to us about God's reputation. God's reputation was at stake. And the reason he saved people was for his reputation, not because they were worth saving. And it's it's kind of a reminding him that God, you 
this is who you are. This is the kind of God that you are. And I wonder if it's not just reminding the person who's saying it of who God really is. Because God knows how God is. It, you're right. And, and our prayers and our worship, part of it is for God because it's right and proper to give God. But a huge part of it is for us to kind of get attitude readjustment and get perspective on what's really going on. Or re-perspective. Re-perspective. Uh, and we like to... Remind us who's in charge. That, and also that the world doesn't revolve around us. Because our inclination is to say, God, I'm having problems. It's your responsibility to fix it. Yeah. Can it be a form of thinking out loud as to your own understanding of God and telling God your understanding of how great he really is? Right. You, you are agreeing with him. Mm-hmm. You're agreeing with him. You're focused on where he is, not where you are. Uh, and, and the Hebrew word for, sh- for name, Shem, uh, has to do not, not just with the name like Glenn and Dan. and Labels. Uh, labels, uh, identification. It has to do with the reputation and the power. God's name. Uh, in Proverbs, we're told God's name is a strong tower that we can run to. In other words... The name of God is who he is, his, his characteristics. So uh, Daniel is saying what, what we find in, in Exodus, uh, in Ezekiel 36. And why don't we finish with that? Rabbi David, how much time do we have? About eight minutes. Eight minutes, okay, we're good. Uh, Ezekiel 36 but keep your finger in Daniel. We'll come back to Daniel for just a moment. Um, Ezekiel 36. Uh, you're not going to put out paper plates 
and, and plasticware, right? Uh, you will put out your, your china and etc., etc. Um, so that, that will be, in a sense, holy, in a sense of being set apart for a particular purpose. Profane, on the other hand, means common, everyday, ordinary. It can also mean something that is polluted or defiled. Um, so when scripture here in, in Ezekiel speaks about God's name being profaned, it means that the God who is El Elyon, God Most High, is made to look like an ordinary, average, uh, pagan deity. With no power, no life, nothing at all. Which is absolutely unacceptable. And that's what God is saying. I had to deal with you by throwing you out uh, out of the land into exile and all these pagans looked around they saw what was going on and they, they laughed, they mocked they said, ah, the God of the Hebrews really doesn't amount to much he is common, he is profaned and my name became profane which is absolutely unacceptable and he says, I had concern literally, I, I was I was moved you know, deeply moved uh, because my name has to be holy. In other words, when, when the Lord looks at our life, uh, excuse me, when people look at our life, it's not that they're going to see perfection, but they have to see the fact that we're holy. We have something that is set apart uh, that is not just average, ordinary, because God is in us, therefore he is doing stuff in us Therefore, he, he, his name is sanctified or set apart or made holy. And that's what the Lord is saying in Ezekiel 36. What is, what is going to be taking place, the restoration will be for my sake. My sake first and foremost. And, and I know that kind of grinds on us because we say, God, what do you mean? And, but if, if we realize who God is and what God does, we realize that if he does things for his sake, we're not going to be in a short end of the stick. In other words, his name will be made holy and, and we will receive his blessing. He really is the, it's, he's really the only unchanging, I mean, people can change and people can you know, go this way and go that way, but right. he is, he's constant. He's right. the only constant. Right. And so, back to Daniel, and, and we'll finish in, in Daniel chapter 9, have to be fleet-fingered. Fleet uh, Daniel chapter 9 and uh, verse, uh, let's see, 20, 22. If you have 18, 19, would you read it, please? Uh, Daniel 9, 18. And 19, yeah. What's amazing, when you look at the language, you see that all of those are commands. He doesn't say, Lord, would you please do such and such. You have a series of commands. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. Lord, do the other. And you look at that and you think, oh boy, if I were to pray like that, there would be a bolt from heaven come and, and nuke me. I would be vaporized. Well... But it isn't because Daniel is saying, God, do this, 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 and this, because I need it. 
Well, what's the rest of it? For your name's sake. In other words, he's saying, God, you've got to act. In order to refurbish your reputation and make it holy, why? So that, so that pagans will look and they will see your reputation and they will be drawn. And that's what, that's what Yeshua says in, in Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine that men may see your good works and give honor and glory to your Father who's in heaven. I also think this kind of goes back to what you said before. You know, um, do we know who God is? God knows who he is. And I think for Daniel to speak to him like this, he's just kind of like reaffirming, reaffirming all the things that God knows about himself and, and that Daniel knows about him. And, and remember the commands that Daniel is giving here. Lord, do this, this, this comes, first of all, after saying, God, you are incredible, you're awesome, and we have screwed up, and you've punished us according to what we deserve, and that looks real bad for you, so you've got to act. Please act. Do it. For your name's sake. And isn't it also, it's Moses, too, that they tried to die. Exactly. Exactly. Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 32, has the same exactly the same theme in, in how he prays and, and seeks God. He was up against his Abraham also and he was going to and, uh, and God was going to wipe out he, he, he says you know if there's a spot yeah it is because uh, Abraham is saying God you're the righteous God and and you judge righteously so if there's five good people or yeah. right but but the, the point is, we don't pray like Daniel. Um, a, we, we don't mourn and fast and go sackcloth and ashes and, and spend days and days and days praying. We also don't identify with the sin of the people around us because we look at them and say, oh, th this world is going to hell in a handbasket and, and I'm over here along with all my buddies who are who are believers in, in our own little co community ghetto or whatever, um, we don't we don't see what God sees because we're self-consumed. Daniel, on the other hand, is so wrapped up with who God is and what God wants that he's troubled. He's deeply, deeply troubled by the fact that um, God has made a laughing stock, and he's saying, "God, things have to change." So, uh, it's a model for us. We're not, we're not going to pray exactly like Daniel, but, but there's some patterns that we need to follow uh, if we want to be in tune with, with who God is. And remember what, uh, what we're told in Scripture, that if we pray according to God's will, what's the rest of it? He hears us and we know we have the petitions. In other words, the more we pray according, the more we line up with what we know God is and what God wants, the greater confidence we have that our prayers will be answered. So that's why we have been spending uh, weeks, the last few weeks, looking at these intercessory prayers because we as a congregation, want to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. We want to become more and more of an intercessory congregation mm -hmm. because we know that that is where God moves and we want to see God move. Amen. And the Amen. world needs it. Hmm? And the world needs it. The world needs it. And he Amen. has moved so much on our, our behalf. I mean, I, I see all the prayers that he's answered. He has moved so much. And and you realize when when it is God, it is God. It's not us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing passage of Scripture and the challenge that you give us, Lord, to uh, to draw closer to you and uh, to make our business, your business, 
So we pray for each one of us, Lord, that you'll show us how we need to align with your priorities and your plans and purposes and that you'll give us the grace and the power, Lord God, to move in that direction so that you will receive honor and glory, Lord God, and that uh, your name will be set apart, that people will see you in us, reflected in us, Lord, and be drawn to you. Thank you, Lord, for our time in your word, and we pray, Lord, that uh, your presence will go with us as we go to our separate, uh, separate homes. We ask this in Yeshua's name.